fantastic. Well, didn't we have a great word from Steve Matthews last week? Absolutely brilliant. If you, if you weren't here, um, Steve spoke about devotion. And um, he began to uh, look at Acts chapter 2, the beginnings of the early church, probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, where the power of the Holy Spirit came into an upper room where there were 120 disciples. And when you begin to read Acts chapter 2, you see the power of this event. The Holy Spirit there came from heaven and there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was incredible. It filled the whole house. Before these disciples knew it, they were out on the street. Peter stands to his feet. He starts to preach. And by the end of the day, as a result of this power encounter with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people, not in a building, 3,000 people on a street in the city of Jerusalem receive Christ Jesus as their Savior and as their, their Lord. Just months before they'd crucified him, months before they'd spat on him and hurled abuse at him, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, this, 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 this rejection and this objection of a huge crowd within this city suddenly changed as these men and women praised God and received Jesus as their Savior. And Steve really began to focus on that, and he began to talk about devotion. But you know, when you read Acts chapter 2, very often we get caught up in the headlines, and the headlines are amazing. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit coming, the sound of a violent rushing wind filling the house, it's so powerful, it's, it's moving, it's going somewhere. You know, 3,000 people getting saved. These are all the headlines of Acts chapter 2. And sometimes we only focus on the headlines, which is amazing. But the Holy Spirit, you see, was going somewhere with these disciples, with this group of 3,000 people that suddenly gave their lives to Christ. He was going somewhere. He didn't just want to wow them with, with the sound of a violent rushing wind from heaven. He didn't just want to come among them, you know, spectacularly and, and awe them. No, like Steve said so wonderfully, he wanted there to be a practical application to this power, a practical application, a grassroots life level for them to work out as he filled their lives. And Steve, you know, uh, referred to Acts chapter 2, I think it's verse 42, where he says, and the disciples or the, 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 the believers that received Christ as their Savior devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, very often we miss that. Very often we, we're focused on the headlines of Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit came into the room, empowered them as Peter preached and thousands got saved. That's the headlines. And very often we miss where the Holy Spirit was going with this mass of people that received Jesus. He wanted their hearts. He wanted their devotion. 
And Steve, you know, outlined to us very clearly what that word devotion means. It's, it's to give your strength towards. It's to give the strength of your life. It's to give everything you are into the cause of Christ, into the cause of his kingdom. And this is what these early disciples, these early believers did in an incredible way. You know, it was so sudden. It was so immediate, their devotion. They didn't have to, you know, kind of think about it for a year or six months or two years. They didn't, they, they weren't thinking, you know, let, well, let's just check this out to see if we're going to get involved, to see if we're going to lean in with our lives. No, their devotion, which is amazing when you read Acts chapter 2, was so immediate. It was so, you know, it was so full on so quickly. The same day that the Holy Spirit enveloped their hearts and their lives and changed them forever, on that same day, there was a corresponding heart devotion now to Jesus and his kingdom and his cause and the church, and the church in the city. And that's what, you know, is so wonderful when you read Acts chapter 2. It's not just, oh, cheers, Nick. It's not just, you know, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a room. What's, what's amazing on our side is that the Holy Spirit drew, drew out this devotion, this heart devotion from the people of God. And the church began. The church started. And you know, I think there's wonderful things for us to learn from that. There really is. When you look at this church, you look at the collection of people in this church, you look at the life experience, you look at all of the, the different ethnic backgrounds, you look at the ages and the stages, you look at all of the different levels of education, of, of, of qualification, and it's incredible when you go through the collection of people that God has brought into this house. And I think sometimes it's good for us to stop and actually think about the devotion, the, the, the heart devotion that we've given to this house year after year. Encourage yourself today. This church is here as a result, not of some fancy preacher, this church is here as a result of the devotion of God's people, namely you and me. It really is. Do you know, if, if it depended, if the church depended on Peter to sustain it that day and to continue it on into the future, he would have had a nervous breakdown. If, if, it, if it had, had depended on Peter, you know, to move it forward and to keep it going and to keep everybody up, it wouldn't have survived the pressures and the attacks and the, and, 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 and the onslaught of opposition that came against it. But the Holy Spirit strengthened the heart of each believer. And it wasn't about the apostles sustaining it or strengthening it. Yes, they brought the word of God. Yes, they encouraged everybody to, to, to keep building and, and keep being involved and love one another, but they were not responsible to sustain the people of God. The Holy Spirit and the commitment of God's people 
sustained the church, and as a result of that, it thrived. And I'm telling you now, look back over the history of this church, and what you will see is that it has not been sustained by any man or woman that has stood on this stage, friends. It's been sustained by the commitment of God's people, hearts that are given to Him, devotion that's come from you, and I'm telling you, Jesus has been pleased to build with such devotion. So be encouraged today. Be encouraged. You say, well, Dave, I'm only giving a little bit. Let me tell you, the little bit that we give collectively together results in much, results in the work of God going forward. Don't ever despise the little that you give because, you know, in God's eyes, it's not little anyway. It really isn't. Do you know what? Even just turning up today, as a result of the week that you've had, some of you have gone through the week and you didn't even feel like coming here this morning because you're beat up in your emotions and there's, you know, the, the week ahead of you isn't looking very good, but you made it. I'm telling you now, that's as much service to God as any other work that we do. Just being here. So be encouraged. Because you went against your feelings. You went against all of the voices and, and directions that tried to take you out and off course. And you, you, you made your decision to come and be here. And others can't be here as a result of many reasons. And we should pray for them and encourage them. Some are on holiday. Some are down Barry today paddling in the sea. The little tinkers. But you know what? Our service, our service to God's house, our service to one another, our service in and out in the communities in which we live, the giving over of our homes to bring people in and be hospitable, whether it's in this house or whether it's our own physical homes, just to pastor the people and look after them. It's all service. It's all devotion because it's the strength of our life going into what Jesus has declared he will build. It really is. So be encouraged. Be encouraged today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching They went from house to house. They met in their homes. They had a great time. They fellowshiped with one another. They broke bread. They celebrated the Lord's death and his resurrection and the new covenant that they had been brought into. It was in their homes. It was meeting together. They were just giving their devotion. They were pushing all of their life strength into taking this forward. The the great command and the great commission that Jesus had given them, they were serious about. And it wasn't two years down the line, three years down the line. It was the moment that the Holy Spirit made them his temple and and impregnated their hearts with the love of God. There was a corresponding devotion. Devotion. There was a corresponding devotion. And they were in. And I'm so, I tell you now, I count it an honor to be a part of this church. Faye and I count it a great honor. Do you know why? One of the reasons, let me tell you one of the reasons. Because there's so many great examples to follow, for me to follow, for me to learn from, for for us to glean from. 
So many examples when we look at the work and the service and the energy and the life and the pouring in of strength of people in this place. I look at it, I think, my goodness, I want some of that for my life. I really do. It's a blessing. It really is to be a part of the house of God. Do you know Jesus in in a marvelous way, in, in a wonderful way, exemplified this devotion This devotion to his father, he was never apathetic about the father's work. He was never, you know, lethargic. He never had an attitude, well, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Do you remember the words of Jesus? He said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say those words I hear my father saying. That's a man that's devoted That's a man that's putting all of his strength and all of his life and all of his energy into the will of his father. He didn't even come to fulfill his own will. He only wanted to watch what the father wanted him to do and hear what the father wanted him to say. And he never stepped outside of those parameters. That's devotion. That's the devotion that we're talking about. That's the the love for the Father's kingdom and for the Father's work that we have collectively as his body. Jesus was completely devoted. And, you know, this this devotion that Jesus had didn't begin when the Holy Spirit came upon him powerfully when he was baptized by John in the Jordan. There the Father said to him, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But it wasn't at that point where this devotion began, it, it began far, far before that, before he was even a teenager. In Luke chapter 2, let me read it to you and I'll give you some context around what we're going to read in a moment. Mary and Joseph were going to Jerusalem for the annual Passover feast. They were going to be there for a number of days and they went with a company of people up to Jerusalem for the Passover. They were there for a number of days. And whilst they were there, they lost. Well, actually, when they decided to leave because the Passover had finished, Jesus remained. They lost him and they didn't know where he was. Let's pick up on Luke chapter 2, verse 45 to 52. It says this. So when they did not find him, They returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you so anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Now, he's 12 years of age now, okay? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Oh man, a 12-year-old, that is heart devotion. 
That is a leaning of life. That is a focus of strength. That is, you know, he's not getting torn about and pulled in every direction by the trends of his day. That is complete focus. Priorities set out even as a 12-year-old. I must be about my father's business. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus, before he even entered teenage years, was absolutely devoted to the work of his father. What an example. What an example of life to look at. Later in his ministry, he would say, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to help you. I'm devoted to meet your need. I'm devoted to protect and defend you. And he did that so marvelously as he walked through the streets and the highways and byways, as he healed and as he saved and as he delivered. His devotion was to others. His devotion was to people. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 Luke remembering and thinking back to those times where he witnessed the marvelous power that Jesus displayed through this devoted life. He said, oh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I'm telling you now, devotion is the secret to the anointing of God. Devotion is the secret to the power of God. Devotion is the secret to just going about and doing good works. He did good works. And he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. I'm telling you now, if you're passionate for the house of God, if you're passionate for people, which we are, we will see our prayers answered in wonderful ways as you reach out to people in need, as you reach out to people that, that are struggling and you offer a helping hand, an encouraging word, you'll be surprised what comes out of your mouth. You'll be surprised at the, the good works that God enables you to do. Why? Because you're devoted. Giving your strength towards the things of God. And this is what Jesus did. And God anointed him and God was with him. You're going to be known as a people who God is with. God's with you, not in some weird kind of crazy way, but like Faye said, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Oh, you're going to be seen and the message is going to be clear just by the exchanges that we have with one another in a loving way. And God will use us at different levels, at different places, wherever we are. Why? Because we have devoted put our life strength into what God has called us to do. You might say, well, Dave, you know, I'm so busy and I'm torn in different directions and, and I've got to attend to this in my life. I've got to attend to that in my life. I don't know what to do. Listen, align yourself 
with what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean to leave your, your, leave your job and, and, and forsake your responsibilities. No. No, it doesn't mean that. But seek first the kingdom of God in your workplace, wherever you are, in your family, in your home, in your school, in your university. It matters not. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus will work it out. But in your heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts, let there be a devotion and a lean in and a strength towards regarding your life, the things of God and his course. Jesus said, I've not come to be served. I'm here to serve you because I'm devoted to my father's work and my father's work revolves around you. He loves you. That's why he sent me. That's why I'm here. And then one day when the disciples were arguing who's the greatest, Jesus just turned around to them and said, listen, boys, it might be like that in the world that you've come from, but it is not like that in the world that I have come from. It is not like that in my kingdom. He who wants to be the greatest has to be the least. And those that try to position themselves as the greatest will become the least. And Jesus operated in this wonderful spirit, lowly and gentle, respectful and loving and caring for everybody. He couldn't walk past a healed, uh, a, a sick body without healing it. He couldn't walk past a deranged mind that was torn in conflict without bringing peace to it. Oh, what a savior, what a servant, what a devoted heart. He demonstrated. So at the beginning, the early years of his life, we find him saying to his mother and father, I must, I must be about my father's business. I must attend to my father's work. This wasn't a religious kid that had his head full of scripture. There was a burning passion, a burning deep desire to do the work of God. And to be involved in everything that the Father had called him to do on earth, he understood his purpose. Your purpose on this earth is not just to get a career. That's good. Your purpose on this earth is not just to, you know, live sumptuously. Your purpose and my purpose on this earth before we leave is to serve God and fulfill the purposes of God in our generation. And to take his kingdom forward like we're doing. Jesus understood this. At the, in the early years of his life, he said, I must, I must attend to my father's business. I must do my father's work. And then at the close of his life, in John chapter 17, verse 4, we hear him say this. I have glorified you on earth. He's talking to the Father. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Oh, the two bookends of life that we need. 
At the early beginnings of his life, he says, I must be about my father's business. And then all through the course of his life, leading right to that final point, that final night when he's in that room with his disciples, he says confidently, Father, I've glorified you. I look back on all of these last years of ministry and even before. I've finished, Father. I've finished the work. I've understood the work. I've not turned away from the work. I've, I've, I've counted the cost of this tremendous work and mission that you have given me to do. I've understood it completely. And now I'm here at the final point in no doubt as to where I am going. I have finished the work that you have called me to do. Oh, it's so sad to not be involved in the work of God. It's so sad to wander about in life here and there and, and, and miss the wonderful joy and sense of walking under God's favor in being devoted to him in service of his kingdom. You say, Dave, but I, I'm not going to preach to millions of people. Me neither. I'm here with you. We're not going anywhere. But we've got Newport to bless. We've got Newport to reach. The work of the Father, the business of the Father for you and me is right here on the streets of Newport and beyond. Even, it, it even extends to Pontypool. It's amazing. And even to Abertillery, Steve. It does. Our work together, sometimes we're out on our own in the harvest field, reaching others for Christ, bringing them maybe just one step forward. But because your heart is devoted, because your heart is loyal to God's work, because... You're passionate for his cause and his kingdom. We are finishing and completing the work that he has set for us, each and every one of us, day by day, moment by moment. And what a joy it is to realize that you have completed and finished your work. And I believe that that is the blessing that Jesus wants us all to understand with our lives. Finally, on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. I must be about my father's business, finally hanging on the cross. He didn't say, I'm finished. The soldiers had spat on him. The soldiers had whipped him, bruised him, cut him, beat him. We can't even, there's not even words to describe or movies to even depict what Jesus went through. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Referring to the work that his father had given him, he faithfully finished it. He faithfully completed it. In front of every hellish, demonic attack, he went through it all. And he finished it. The only one that was finished was the devil, let me tell you, man. 
That's it, Helen. Completely finished. His work. His work. Now, looking at this aspect of devotion and service to God, Paul, the apostle, speaks about it also in a wonderful way. Now, to give you some context to what we're going to read in a moment, the Corinthians church, I mean, they were a crazy bunch of people. They were mad. And Paul went into the most notorious city, the most, the most immoral city. I mean, everything went on there. They had a temple there, <clears throat> and to worship with, just imagine now, right? You're talking, I mean, yeah. They had a temple there, right? And to actually worship the God that was in the temple, you had to sleep with a prostitute or a number of prostitutes. I mean, you're talking completely debased. You're talking immoral. You're talking every type of vice. Anything went in Corinth and nobody lifted an eyebrow. Nobody cared. It was fine. It's what we do. And Paul goes in there as an apostle charged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he starts to preach the word of God and people start to get saved. And some of the stuff that they were involved in started to come into the church. And Paul didn't, you know, smack them across the head. He was a gracious, loving father. And he knew that sometimes things from our past attach themselves to our lives. And, you know, our walk with Christ is a bit crooked. And, you know, it's all over the, all over the place. But he didn't beat them up. He preached the Word of God to them. He told them about the love of God and this new power of the Holy Spirit that was going to take over every area, every sinful area of their lives, just like the Holy Spirit takes over the areas of our life that seem out of control and messed up. We're on a journey. And He's perfecting us day by day. Well, they're having this, this moment in the Corinthian church and they're, they're, they're in this big argument. And again, it's about who's the greatest. Some were saying, listen, I think Paul's the greatest. He's awesome, Paul is. Uh, we're not into Peter. And then some would stand up, no, Peter's better. And then, and then they brought Apollos, this great preacher. He preached at Corinth. And they said, no, Apollos is the best. And even some of them were bringing Jesus into it and said, no. You know, they were, they were becoming super spiritual. And they said, well, no, we're not of Peter. We're not of Apollos. We're not of Paul. We're of Jesus. And they were dividing and they were becoming ununified in their, in their gatherings together. They were comparing people with people. And Paul corrects them. Paul adjusts their understanding of the preacher, of the person standing upstairs, uh, on stage speaking the Word of God. He corrects their understanding because they were putting the preacher, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle on a pedestal. They were making them superstars. And Paul, oh, just like Paul does, he brings correction. Superstars. Superstars. No, there's no superstars in God's kingdom. There's only one superstar. Jesus, the morning star, who's risen from the dead. There's no preacher that's done that, friends. I'm telling you now, we'll never glorify man. 
in this place. And if we do, we might as well shut the doors and go home. No man other than Jesus Christ is to be lifted up in this place. I don't care. While I'm here, I'm telling you now, we're not lifting up any personality or any person. It's not right. And Paul wouldn't have it and we're not having it. One Corinthians chapter four, verse one. Paul tells them how he wanted them to consider him and any ministry gift. He said, "Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let a man." So consider us as servants of Christ. Not apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, workers of miracles. Yeah, they're all titles, they're all functions. But you know what? The greatest title that any person can hold is the title of servant. When we cross that line into heaven... Jesus is going to meet us. He's going to look us in the eye and he's going to say to me, he's not going to say to me, well done, good and faithful pastor. And I'll try and be a faithful pastor to the best of my ability. No, there's a higher title on offer. There's a higher title that is esteemed in heaven, that's esteemed by, by the by. By the heart of God and by Jesus himself. For Jesus said, I've come not, not to, to receive a title. I've come to get involved, to show you this devoted life. I've come to serve. I am a servant, he said. I'm here to serve you. And when he looks us in the eye, he will say this. Not, well done, good and faithful apostle. Well done, good and faithful prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. Well done, you know it. Well done, good and faithful servant. I tell you now, if you get that commendation, if I get that commendation from the king, oh, wonderful. I hope that he doesn't say to anybody, well, what do we have here? You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. The devoted life guarantees a commendation from Christ, well done. Not, well, what do we have here? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, this is an amazing, amazing picture that Paul gives the church at Corinth because he wants to realign them. He wants to give them such a powerful picture as to his role as a pastor, apostle in that church. He wants to correct their perceptions, their understanding of people that have ministry and what, what they would have termed position within the church. He wants to realign their understanding and for them to clearly see what it is to be a minister, a ministry gift. This word servant that he uses comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word, the, the interpretation of that Greek word means under rower. So Paul says, let a man so consider us as under rowers or under oarsmen of Christ. Now when Paul used this term under rower, 
regarding himself, in regarding to any other ministry gift, in regarding their lives as well. When he used this term, under rower, the Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about. Because Corinth was very close to a Roman port and they knew the vocation of the under rower. They knew exactly what it entailed when he used this, this word because the under rower worked in the lowest part of the Roman war, warships. They were under oarsmen, under rowers. And they were all together to take that vessel forward into war. It was the lowest, the most demeaning vocation that a person could have. It wasn't up on the top deck, giving out commands, giving out orders in control. Paul didn't say, I'm the captain of the ship here. I'm the head of this church in Corinth. I planted it. I'm the one that should have prominence. I'm the one that should be important. No. Paul said, no, I'm an under oarsman. In this, in this whole work at Corinth, I'm, I, I, my position is not to be up on the deck as the captain shouting out the orders. No, I receive my orders like you receive your orders from the captain of our faith, Jesus. We are just below deck, out of sight, out of mind, in darkness many times, rowing the church forward, working together to get it to where Jesus has planned for it to be. They knew full well the language that Paul was using and the phrases that he was talking about and the picture that he was giving them. And it was correcting and adjusting their understanding of their work and function within the church and also his role as a pastor. Now there's five things Five things that I'm just going to run through with you quickly. Characteristics about an under oarsman that worked in a Roman warship that we can be encouraged by in our work within the church as we take God's kingdom forward in what we're doing here together as God's people. Firstly, the under rower the under oarsmen kept their eyes on the captain. On these, on these galley ships, on these Roman warships, you would have had between 150 to 200 oarsmen together, rowing in sync, rowing in time, rowing in unity, and they had to keep their focus on the captain, who was commanding the ship, who was issuing the orders. Who is telling them what to do? There may have been three or four men on one oar together, working together, and all of their eyes and all of their attention had to be focused on the captain. Do you know when you serve in a local church, when you serve, when we serve together in God's house, one of the most important things to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's many things that would try to come and hinder you and stop you and take you out from the, the position and the service 
of your work in this church? There is. But we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When things come from the left or, to the, or, or the right, when, when people come and they try to take you out with their criticism, with their harshness, and you, you don't expect it, you're just doing your best to serve the house of God and to serve people, and somebody comes in, man, and just cuts you to bits. Listen, listen, why is that? Where is that coming from? It's not coming from the one that you're fixing your eyes on. Listen not to it, child of God. Keep your eyes fixed on the captain. You're an under oarsman in this church. Your work is essential. What you're doing is important and your strength is needed. Your devotion is needed. With your hands on the, on, on the oars, I tell you now, let them speak what they've got to say, but just keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on the captain because we're going forward. And be encouraged if you're being persecuted. Because I'm telling you, I tell you now, if people criticize you and start biting at you, I'm telling you, be encouraged because Jesus said this. Oh no, the apostle said it. The spirit of God's glory rests on you. I tell you now, I tell you now. Don't be discouraged. Don't let another voice take you out of your position. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it cuts. Yes, it shouldn't happen. But I'm telling you now, fix your eyes on the captain. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. We're in this together. Secondly, the under oarsmen worked closely with others by their side. We're a family. We really are. We know each other intimately. We know, you know, the, the rough edges, don't we? Some of us are, are quiet and, and others, others of us are quite passionate, quite outspoken, can be abrupt, can be sharp. But you need the combination of everything. We don't want just a bunch of quiet people in this church. And we don't just want a bunch of loudmouth people that, you know, sometimes trip over their tongue. No, we need the combination. We need the strength of, of, of both and every personality, every diverse personality we need in this church because it represents, it represents what, what God wants to do in this city. And the under oarsman didn't get to choose who he sat by, didn't get to choose who, were, who he was chained up with. No, the, 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 the choice was, was given to the captain. The choice was, was outworked, not by them. The choice was outworked and decided by a higher superior authority. It's like that in the church. We didn't choose to be here. We kind of did, but there was a greater power and presence at work in bringing us here together. You don't choose or I don't choose the person that I sit next to, but these under oarsmen worked together. These under oarsmen served 
and work closely with one another. Paul put it like this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. If we're going to serve together, if we're going to go the distance, if we're going to be a blessing to this, this city, if we're going to devote our hearts fully into the things of God, we've got to consider others better than ourselves, just like those under oarsmen did as they work closely together as a team. Thirdly, an under rower never argued with the course or the direction taken. Number of reasons. Firstly, because they couldn't see it. They were right at the bottom of the boat in the darkest place of the boat. They, didn't, they, they just had to trust the navigation skills of another and sometimes, you know, you're, it's like that. Sometimes we, we, we may wonder. We may, we, may, we may struggle in relation to the direction that maybe a team leader is taking. Your head of department, your connect group leader. You may wonder. Now, I'm not saying, you know, crazy stuff. You question that. Things that are not in the Bible, you question that Definitely. But sometimes, you know, it's not a matter of a biblical conviction. It's just a, a practical issue that, that arises and you, you begin to question the direction. Well, under rowers, as they served that, that, that warship, taking it forward and rowing with all they might, they couldn't question the direction that the navigator, that the captain was taking because they couldn't see it. Paul said this in relation to aspects like this in our lives. He said, we walk by faith, not by sight. My goodness, if we walk by sight, we, half of us wouldn't be here. I, I certainly wouldn't. Sometimes, you know, it's just a walk of faith. Because what you see doesn't line up with where you want to go. What you see disappoints your expectation. What you see is a contradiction to all of the promises and the dreams that you're holding in your heart, but you keep walking because you're walking by faith. And what you see is disappointing. What you see maybe is, is not in, in, you know, in line with your expectations, but you just keep doing what you're doing. Listen, look around the room. Many of you guys have been here for years. How many times have you had to grit it out in the night hour? Just grit it out and walk by faith. Testimony after testimony, I'm telling you, around this room. Well done, church. Well done for staying at the oar. Well done for taking this thing forward. Well done for continuing in your devotion, for putting your life into, into this work. Next, the under rower was committed for life. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. That usually means we've got another 30 minutes preaching. So uh, the two Ronnies over there, look at them over there now. They, they wind me up every, every week. How much are you having today to preach for? 15 minutes, 10 minutes? My goodness me. And they, they, say, they say to me, John says to me, right, I'm having dinner at John's house. He said, you know what? When you call the musicians up, that usually means that you're going to be talking for another 30 minutes. <laughs> I said, yeah, John, I know. 
I'm trying my best. They're brilliant. Come on, let's give Joe and John a massive clap. They do an amazing job. They really do. They really do. Uh, no, neither do they. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We got Guns and Roses. What? I tell you what, this church is just like the Corinthian church. One day, one day, you had um, Les. Les's phone went off. Guns and Roses. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. And Marcia now. Google. I don't have an answer for that. That's why you need to chuck that thing in the bin. <laughs> Under rowers were committed for life. Under rowers were committed for life. Committed for life. Do you know what? Be encouraged today. Jesus has saved us. And you've, you've, you've married that salvation and that grace of God with a, a heart commitment for life to serve Him. And that means, you know, not just being out there arbitrary, doing your own thing, but together in God's house, shoulder to shoulder. We're all different. We've all got different views. We've all got different ideas. And, but you know what? Together, we're building to the best of our ability. Yeah, we may not be as, as slick and as sharp as, as some other churches. But you know what? We're doing what we can with what we have, where we are. And we're committed for life. Committed for life. Paul in 2 Timothy, talking about being committed for life. 2 Timothy 4, he said this, and again, what a wonderful conclusion for life. What a wonderful ending. He knew that he was near the end of his life. He said this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on, the, on that day. And not for me only, listen, but also for all who have loved his appearing. That crown of life, that crown of righteousness is laid up for us all. And with Paul, one day all of us want to be able to say these words confidently. I have fought the good fight. We've fought some battles in this place. We've fought them together and we've come through. We finished. One day we will be able to say and we want to be able to say we finished our race just like Jesus said. I have finished the work that you gave me. Father, that's what Paul is saying right here. I've kept the faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. When you can't see, you don't throw in the towel. When you can't see your way through and you don't understand it, you don't just, you know, say, oh, this is enough for me. No, you walk by faith. I've, I've finished, he said, and I've kept the faith. And then finally, the under rower lived for the honor of another. 
the honor of another. Many of the under rowers in Paul's time, many of the under rowers within Corinth and the regions of Rome wouldn't have to be chained to their post because they would volunteer their services. They would go with free will and they would volunteer their services to take the warships forward, to extend the boundaries of Rome across the known world. They had a mission, they had a commission and they volunteered their lives and their services together as they tried to extend, and they did extend their boundaries and their borders right across the world. Oh, it's the same in the kingdom of God. It's more so in the kingdom of God. It really is. As we fulfill the commission and the command that Jesus has given us, we do it with a free will. We do it with a, with a heart of devotion. We, we, we do it by leaning in and putting all of our strength into what he's called us to do. Many of us today, this just confirms where we are. This word, it just confirms what we've been involved in now for many years. Many of us today, this word just simply acts as, as a moment of encouragement along the way in our journey to doing what Jesus and the Father has called us to do. But maybe for some of us, you know, you've been coming for a few months. Maybe for, for some of us, you may have been here for, for but a short time. And you know, my heart, a phase heart, and, and the heart of the leadership of this church is to involve you, to bring you in as fellow under rowers, to bring you in as fellow under oarsmen within the work that we're doing in taking this forward in this community, in this, in this city. So let me say this to you. I'm going to pray. Maybe your heart's been stirred today. And maybe in the weeks to come, maybe a few months down the line, you're going to, you're going to approach somebody on our connection point. It's, it's quite hard not to see the connection point, isn't it? The font's about that big, connection point. <laughs> but maybe go to the connection point and let's see how we can get you alongside us holding an oar taking the work of God forward because I'm telling you, you're going to find great fulfillment. You're going to find great blessing. Remember when Jesus went back to Nazareth, there was a marked difference. It says that he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew with the favor of God upon him and he grew in favor with all men. I'm telling you now, when you set your course and when you say, I must be about my father's business in the house of God and out in the work in which we do, I'm telling you now, you'll grow in wisdom. You'll, you'll grow in stature, in spiritual stature. And the favor of God, the blessing of God will be added to you. It'll be on you. And you'll grow. I'm telling you now, your, your, your exterior boundaries of your world you will see men and women favor you. You really will. And you're not doing it with, with that motive. You're doing it because you love God's house and you love God's people. But I'm telling you, the byproducts of serving God, the byproducts and the consequences and the results for your life as you commit and as you put the kingdom of God first in your life is, I'm telling you, is incredible.
Incredible. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray. But be encouraged today, church. I'm going to pray right now for every single person here. Lord, I thank you that you exemplified this wonderful, wonderful heart of service and devotion. You exemplified what a servant is. And we want to follow you, Jesus. We don't want to turn away from you. We don't want to be involved in in other things that demand our time and our attention. Of course, there's responsibilities that we have to fulfill. But, oh God, we pray that the greatest responsibility and passion of our heart would be to take your kingdom forward. Would be, Lord, to exemplify your love to a lost world and deliver your gospel. And reconcile a lost, hurting world back to you. I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, you've seeded our hearts with your word. You've seeded our hearts. We've heard it with our ears. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we would be doers of the work of the ministry. Doers of this word. I thank you that the... the, 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 the The church goes forward not as a result of one or two people that that are, are, are in superstar status. The church goes forward as a result of the devotion, the collective devotion of God's people burning with the power of God, burning with the Spirit of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, and give us, give us strength for the next season in our course together. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing. Praise Him. God bless you, church. Have a great week.